Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And about a Felipe Franks Hail Mary across the Harpeth River from me, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, man? Matt, uh, I want to – you might not be able to finish the podcast when I tell you this, but uh, our new featured play and a play that we really had some great success on, first time we ran it, which was the third play from scrimmage after we recovered a – onside kick to start the game we ran buck sweep and took it 50 yards and uh our guy got pushed out at the one nice and then we punched in the next play excellent well that's always a good way to start a game Uh, then then we would go on to uh, that would be the only time we would uh would cross the goal line that's not as good no and and then the other team crossed the goal line about six six times well, I'm sorry to hear that, Coach, but uh, glad the buck sweep's working. As someone who was uh, raised... We covered the spread. <laughs> As someone who was raised in a wing T offense, I always like to see a good buck sweep. But we'd be remiss if we didn't introduce the third amigo in the second city, a man who thinks that Louisville needs to change their mascot. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, I was watching college game day. They were talking all about Churchill Downs, Kentucky Derby, and all that. I just feel like... Cardinals is boring. It's just a bird. There's a lot of teams of birds. I thought this was the perfect solution. I told you guys about it. The Louisville Thoroughbreds, they have a cool, like, horse head logo. I think it could really work. Well, my, my mother's alma mater is actually the Thoroughbreds. So there's precedent. So it's not exactly. like, so it's not even it's it's not wouldn't even be breaking new ground. I think they should go for it. But on today's might show, as well. on, which which by the way, I think this is the first time I've ever suggested a school use a nickname other than the uh, Carthaginians. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, with the Carthaginians, you get an elephant as a mascot, which is naturally the greatest of the animals. So exactly, yeah. Well, today's show, we're going to look back at week three. Uh, but before we get to our quick slants, quick picks recap, I want to congratulate my two co-hosts. You both went 5-0 and oh against the spread in our picks this week. Mm. So, it's off to you. I went 3-2, and two, and that's what I get for picking Boston College and Stanford. So, alas. <laughs> we made it we made it a clean sweep, though, uh, in our other ones. So, good job to you guys. That brings us on the season Coach or coaches out to a phenomenal start. Twelve and three against the spread in three weeks. Josh, you're ten and five. I am way back at the pack at seven and eight. But a lot of football still to be played. So with that, we are going to Well Matt, you know the solution for that. Just put Kansas and Nebraska in all those spread formations and you'll be able to start making some money. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sure we're gonna get to Nebraska here in a little bit, but we're gonna start off with our spread formations with you, Josh. Yeah, uh, so my first quick slant is uh, touching in on three teams that are 
having a, a nice hot start, and for two of them, really uh, a rebuild, quite frankly. Uh, the first is Cal. We've talked about them before on the show, but I think what they did uh, late last night was the most impressive thing yet, holding the Ole Miss Rebels to just 16 points, got that come from behind 27 to 16 victory. They are 3-0 and on the young season, and, you know, SC struggled mightily with a not very good Texas team, and they head up to Berkeley next. That would be one hell of an upset. I don't think they can pull it off, but that would really, really make this 3-0 start that much more special. Uh, An ACC team that's not Duke, because I know coaches talk about them a little bit, but Wake Forest, also 3-0. They shellacked Utah State this week, the week Previously, they went up to Boston College and blew out a fellow ACC team. They're 3-0. And then, obviously, Purdue hung tough with Louisville, dominated Ohio, a really good MAC team that we're expecting a lot from, and then head down to Mizzou and laid an old-fashioned beat down on them, 35-3. to Missouri held the ball for just over 16 minutes in that game. It was a thing of beauty. Excellent. Yeah, that was pretty awesome to see Purdue do so well. You know, we all talked about them a little bit, and we did a uh, we, we did one of our spread formations on them. And I mean, Brahm is doing has got his turnaround going faster than I think anyone imagined. And I think that by the end of the season, he may have won more games in one year than Hazel did his entire career at Purdue. Well, the biggest difference so far is David Blau in the last two games, zero interceptions. Mm. Uh, He had just one game last year with no picks, and since becoming the starter four games into the 2015 season, this marks just the second time in his career that he's had back-to-back games without a pick. His ball security has improved tremendously. If he can keep that up, Purdue can keep at least some of this up. The tap, the, the... Opposition talent is going to improve once they hit league play, but I don't think the wheels are going to completely fall off. All right, Coach, what's your first slant? Well, uh, my first slant, I I just jumped on Football Scoop, and I saw this extremely disturbing story that I I want to share with you guys, um, talking about Malik Richmond at Youngstown State. He is a convicted Mm. rapist. Like, he actually – he actually got convicted of it back in as, high school. As a juvenile, yes. As, as a juvenile, he got convicted of it. It was all over social media. The actual rape of uh, uh, while he was in high school was actually recorded and shared on social media. Well, he was uh, basically Youngstown State was his third college in three years. I guess he had had trouble staying at other colleges. And uh, Polini sought him out and recruited him to come join the team. Uh, there was all this backlash petitions saying he should be thrown off the team. Uh, you know, all sorts of people putting pressure on the board of trustees and trying to get him off the team. Uh, they, they ultimately decided that Richmond was not going to be allowed to play in any games this season, even though Pelini intended on that happening. Richmond sued and was re- won the suit and was reinstated back to the team and then Pelini actually played him. Uh, so it's uh, it's kind of a mess, really, uh, and kind of a PR nightmare that I don't know why you would volunteer for that. It's one thing, like, if you if you inherited this mess and 
you're dealing with it and, and, you know, you're just trying to find the best course of action. But I mean, I don't know why Bo Pelini would welcome this after everything he went through at, at Nebraska. So uh, I just thought I'd share that and get you guys' thoughts on this story uh, yeah. before. I have a pretty hot take on this, but so I want to hear what Josh has to say first. Uh, I mean, I feel like me getting in the way of a hot take is a bad idea, Matt. Let her rip. If he's done his time and he did his crime as a juvenile and he's eligible to play, let him play. I don't see – I don't – I understand that he was convicted of a very heinous crime. But I don't believe there is a bylaw in the NCAA handbook that states that convict, uh, you know, people convicted of felonies as juveniles are not allowed to play collegiate athletics. And if he is academically eligible and he has served his sentence – I think that it is a violation of his rights to prevent him from play. Yeah, I, I'm going to, you know, as I presented this story, um, my angle actually was why would, you know, because you know there's going to be a circus around it. Of course. And, and you know, I agree with you in that, in that sense, Matt, that he did his time. You know, he paid his debt to society, or at least we, you know, at least we think he has. And well, I mean, uh, the, you know, I, should, the court has said that he has. He has served his yeah. time. He has been released, and he has. You know, he's not violating his. I'm sure he has. You know, probation or parole, and you know, he's got a parole officer he has to see. But I don't think it's a violation of his parole to play football. Yeah, I mean, so so yes. why not let him play? And I don't understand why people are are so up in arms about it. That you know, because when Mike Vick did the same thing. When he when he served his time and came back to the league, there was a faction of people saying, you know, once criminal, always criminal. You should never let him come back. And then there was a whole, uh, you know, section of people saying, well, he served his time, he paid his debt to society. Why not let him rehabilitate and, and get back to doing what he's good at? And I, I'm in I'm in that camp where if he did his time, then I'm good with that. You know, that's what this justice system is supposed to be about. But, you know, again, I'm like, you know, I I feel like Pelini, I don't know if he, I I don't know the whole story about how he recruited him and what he said to him and whatnot, but I'm just surprised that somebody like Pelini would welcome such a media circus into his program and, and actually go out and seek it. See, I'm actually not surprised. I'm not surprised that Pelini did that. I feel like Pelini of all of the coaches out there is someone who would actually, not not going to say relish that role, but he's not afraid to stand up for what he thinks is right. And he obviously thinks that this young man has earned the right to play collegiate football. So in... I mean, Pelini's been around long enough. He knows what he's getting into. And while that's a questionable choice for your program as a whole, because it, you know, it's obviously the optics of it are not going to be good. But, I mean, could it? I mean, it could possibly. I mean, you know, in college versus the NFL. You know, in the NFL, you're paying these guys lots of money, so it's not really going to damage anything. But you know, in college, your reputation is is everything. And you know, I, I would be, you know. I would be mindful of the reputation that I'm getting because of this and how it might recruit, how it might affect recruiting. And that would, you know, that, that's kind of my angles. Like, you know, well, how, how's it going to affect recruiting and how's it going to, you know, how's it going to, is it going to prevent us from getting the, the guys that we want? Because, 
you know, the, the perception of us is uh, so bad that, you know, they may not, you know, people may not want to come here, but, you know, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think, I think he's in a tough spot. I think he should allow him to play. I think he's fine allowing him to play. Me personally, I would not have sought him out if he was already on my team. That's that's a different story. But I, I'm not sure I would have, me personally, would have gone and sought him out. Josh, um, what do you think here? So I, you know, I think that, like Richard said, has paid his criminal penalty and has a right to move on and get his education and attend school. But I think football is a privilege. It's not a right. I think it's 10 months in prison, getting out and getting to play a senior year of high school, then getting to have a free education. I'm not comfortable with that. I think I think University of Youngstown State, or excuse me, Youngstown State University, I think they can admit him to school. I think they can say, hey, look, like, Education is the step forward. This is how he enters the job force. This is how he doesn't become another criminal statistic. We open our doors to him to become more worldly. But, I mean, it, it just feels like you know, the victim in the crime, you know, is she getting to lead her life? Is she getting to have all of her hopes and dreams and aspirations come true? I mean... You know, Malik Richardson pans out and becomes a multimillionaire, and we have another Hardy on our situation. Who is it benefited for him to get all these opportunities? Football's a privilege. It's not a right. And that's kind of how I feel. I, and so, so to, I, coaches, to coach's comment about him, you know, why would you open your program to this scrutiny? I got to be honest, if – you know, when Iowa was going through this with Pierre Pierce, uh, our our basketball program took a big hit. Fans were not in the seats. People were pissed, and it was the beginning of the end for Steve Alford. And, like, you know, there's ramifications. He broke the law. And I get that he spent his 10 months in prison, but it just, you know, this is this is a game at the end of the day. So I guess one, one thing I would I, – I, I completely understand your viewpoint. One thing I would like to push back on, though, is that if it's his right to get a higher education, football is the way that he can pay for that education. And he don't believe he comes from a family that has a whole lot of money. And I don't think he could afford to go to Youngstown State otherwise. So but there are other cheaper options, you know. True. No, no, that, that, that's absolutely right. So I think that this is – this is a difficult subject for in a lot of ways, and I'm glad that Coach brought this up because I think this is a discussion that is going to be ongoing, especially in the wake of everything that's happened at Baylor, uh, everything that has been going on with recruiting violations at you know other schools and. You well, know. I was going to say for you know an opposite perspective, you know, an experience that none of us have had. Um, Brenda Tracy, who is a rape survivor and activist, um, she's on the NCAA committee to combat sexual violence. She would know the most about this. And and her comments on it uh, that were on Twitter were basically the survivors are now 
forced to watch their rapists chase their athletic dreams and do it with thousands of people cheering them on. No, and that's a completely legitimate and valid. And, and she also added this, which I also like. And she says, you know, she in another tweet, she said, I wonder how kid, or excuse me, I wonder how guys kicked off their sports team for Brad Grads and smoking weed feel watching rapists and batterers play instead of that. That's, that is a, that, that is a great question, but that is a, going to be especially, a, a especially since marijuana is becoming, starting to become legal in a bunch of different states now. That's, that's something that, you know, you look at, you know, in Georgia, you get a, you get a guy kicked off for marijuana, you look out of Colorado and they can do it legally. So it's, it's all becoming as the world changes, you know, the NCAA is going to have to evolve with it and, and have to figure out how to best run their institutions and provide bylaws for, for these kind of things. You know, this is a situation that will set a precedent for some sort of ruling somewhere uh, down the line. And I think uh, that, yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think this is a great topic for us to sort of, I think we should dedicate a show or a series of shows to this in the near future. But for today, though, we're going to have to keep moving on because there is a lot more to discuss uh, from what happened on the gridiron this past weekend. So I'm going to take a, a, a I'm going to take my first quick slant very quickly. And that is discuss the two games that I spent the most time watching this weekend. And uh, that was there goes the freight train by my house. Mm. Hey, Purdue heard the, us talking about them. Hey, man, listen. Yeah. <laughs> Purdue, boiler up. <laughs> boiler up is right, man. They are. They, they deserve that. So uh, the first one of these, or the earlier game, Wisconsin at BYU. Wisconsin was completely dominant. They had more than twice as much time of possession as BYU more than 40 minutes for Wisconsin, less than 20 for BYU. Wisconsin racked up nearly 500 total yards, held BYU to 179. It was another phenomenal game uh, from Wisconsin's offense, especially the much maligned Alex Hornibrook set school record in completion percentage at 94.7. He com- uh, completed 18 of 19, and the one incompletion he had was a bobble drop that the receiver Danny Davis should have caught. Threw for four touchdowns, no picks, an almost perfect uh, quarterback rating. Jonathan Taylor getting the job done again on the ground, 128 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Wisconsin ran for 235 yards as a team. The receiving core really stepped up, and it's the younger receivers now for Wisconsin that are really starting to do some work. Danny Davis, true freshman, caught a 50-yard bomb over two defenders. That was a truly spectacular catch. Quintez Cephas, true sophomore, who was originally committed to Furman to play basketball, uh, had two touchdown catches for the first time in his career uh, with more than one score. He had five catches for 54 yards. Uh, A.J. Taylor caught his first collegiate touchdown. He's a true sophomore out of the out of the St. Louis area, who was a prize recruit for the Badgers last year. And Troy Fumagalli, another another game, another touchdown for the All American tight end. Wisconsin defense was absolutely smothering um, BYU. It didn't help that Bo Hodge was making his uh, starting debut for BYU under center. He had no touchdowns, two picks, uh, went 11 for 20 for 111 yards. 
and just was, was kind of lost all day. Uh, BYU, you know, was without obviously their starter Tanner Magnum, which you could tell that their offense was quite dysfunctional. They tried to get the running game going, but once Wisconsin put eight in the box and uh, told, you know, it's basically telling BYU, come on, try to pass. We dare you. They could not pass at all. Um, also, want to give a quick shout out to Dante Carrier Williams, uh, career high eight tackles for the redshirt freshman corner. He's the nickelback for the team, but he was an absolute playmaker for them. So that was really great to see, especially with a couple guys out on injury. Wisconsin has a bye next week before they start conference play with Northwestern. Um, the other game, obviously, that I was uh, following very closely was the Kansas State Vandy game, which I was supposed to go to. Uh, my wife and I ended up not going to the game because of a couple complications. So we stayed home and watched it on the couch, and boy, was it a good one. Uh, these two teams have – they both have outstanding defenses. Uh, Vanderbilt's defense was uh, truly outstanding. They held Jesse Ertz, the very good Kansas State quarterback, to 10 of 28 passing. 76 yards and two interceptions and no touchdowns a truly fantastic performance from Derek Mason's defense you can see why this team is going to be one that is is going to be need to be reckoned with in the SEC East quite frankly with how poorly South Carolina played and I know coach is going to get to them a little bit later you've got it I think you can make a case that after Georgia, Vanderbilt might be the second best team in the SEC East. Uh, Kyle Shermer was an efficient 14 for 23 for 205 yards and a score in through the air. Um, they had a tough time getting things going on the ground. They averaged only two yards a carry as a team. Ralph Webb, 21 carries, 46 yards. Not exactly his best day, um, but Kyle Shermer added a touchdown on the ground. And, uh, you know, the only thing that the – Commodores had a tough time stopping was the uh, Jesse Ertz running the ball for Kansas State, but that was mostly in the first half. In the second half, they really sort of amped up the pressure and was, were able to contain him. The, Kansas State runs a lot of quarterback sweeps with Ertz, and they were really able to suss those out and prevent him from getting to the cutback lanes. And so that was really key for Vanderbilt. Um, so, you know, but the huge, huge day for a couple of, uh, Vandy players, Emmanuel Smith, the senior linebacker, and also, um, and Ladarius Wiley, um, a senior safety combined for 23 tackles between the two of them, 12 and 11 each, um, uh, Jawan Williams had three passes defended and, you know, just, they were the Vanderbilt defense was everywhere you looked. And, you know, this was, quite frankly, it, it looked like a home game for Kansas State. Two-thirds of the crowd uh, here in Nashville were Kansas State fans. You saw them everywhere if you were out and about on Saturday here in downtown Nashville. And, you know, it, it didn't matter. Vanderbilt was awesome. They busted out their new classic look helmets. And honestly, I think they, they look pretty darn good as well. So they look good. They played good. And a great, great win for the Commodores who are kicking off a, who kick off a very difficult stretch of games. They follow the Kansas State game with, uh, here's a nice little murderer's row for you. They've got Alabama next week, followed by Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and South Carolina. Before they get a non-conference game against a good Western Kentucky team and finish the season out with uh, regular Kentucky, Mizzou, and Tennessee. So it's going to be rough. It's going to be tough sledding for them going forward. But, man, uh, Derek Mason has got to love where his defense is right now. So I don't know if you caught any of the game, Coach. 
Yeah, I was I was doing a lot of flipping. Uh, I was watching Georgia and Stanford. Uh, Georgia started kind of slow, but that was to be expected with the type of game they had last week at Notre Dame. But uh, I, every time I flipped over there, they, they were in commercials, so I never really got to watch any of it. So it was weird because I was watching Clemson, Louisville, which we'll talk about later. And then, uh, you know, I was watching a little bit of LSU, Mississippi State, which we'll talk about later as well. So um, I guess I'll just go ahead and take my next quick slant. Uh, my next quick slant is going to be kind of ADD radio. And when you said uh, they were going to play regular Kentucky, um, Kentucky was all but regular in the fourth quarter um, when they got there. They actually won their fourth straight over South Carolina. Um, Benny Snell had two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. They had some key defensive stops. Um, and this is the first time they started 3-0 since 2010. Uh, so Debo Samuel had a 68-yard touchdown catch. Um, but, uh, you know, they uh, – you know, they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot after that with an interception and a fumble on their first uh, two percent, uh, possessions. And well, Coach, you're bearing the lead here. Debo Samuel broke his leg in the game is now out for the year. I know, and, and it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I guess it's good for Georgia that he's not playing because he would, he would no doubt, I mean, you can't really cover him or tackle him, but, uh, you, know, I, you know, you hate it for the kid because he plays so well and he's done so many good things, but, uh, you know, the, the Gamecocks, are, they're, they're talented. Uh, they'll, they'll find a way to bounce back. But, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I, was kind of, I was kind of impressed with what Kentucky was able to do defensively and how they were able to just to withstand that initial surge uh, that was brought on by, uh, by, Kentucky, or by South Carolina. They were able to withstand all of that, hang in there, and get the win. Not only get the win, but get the win, what, on the road. So it's, it's – uh, it was, an, it was a good game for Kentucky, a good game for Mark Stoops to kind of build momentum there in the Eastern Division. And no doubt that kind of leaves Vanderbilt sitting there on that island in the East. Um, and we'll get more into Vanderbilt later. They might become one of our deep roots next week. We, we don't know. But, uh, you know, some other games I wanted to kind of point out, uh, let's all rejoice in, uh, in, in the fact that Nebraska lost to Northern Illinois. It seemed like – it seemed like they couldn't stop throwing interceptions. Huskies uh, represent. And Huskies, uh, the, the Mac attack is what they call them. Maction. Yeah. Hey, uh, real quick question for you guys. How many interceptions is Tanner Lee up to this season and for his career? I'm going to go with seven on the season. Okay. Coach? I'm going to go with five. Matt, you win it. He has seven interceptions. Coach, you got his touchdown number. He's got five TDs to seven picks. His career, he's sitting at, any guesses? Um, 17. How how many games has he played? Uh, He's been, so in 2014, he had 330 attempts. 2015, he had a little bit under 300, and he's up to 120 attempts this year. I'm going to say he has 22 interceptions in his career. All right. I'm going to say 18. He has uh, 28 touchdowns and 28 interceptions. Oh, Jesus. That's what happens when you're a two-lane quarterback. A whale? The Big Ten. Oh, my goodness. A whale? Um, <laughs> also, uh, some other things, some other scores I want to get to. The, the first game of the day that was, that was running up against that thriller in Memphis was Oklahoma State-Pitt. It seemed like Oklahoma State, Josh, uh, some, some funny texts from you 
uh, on that game. It seemed like they were on pace to score 98 points. Well, they stopped at 59 because I think they just ran out of time. Pittsburgh threw up a respectable 21, I guess, to make it cosmetically better. But my goodness, was Oklahoma State was on and Pitt was off. It was a combination of both. Uh, Virginia Tech uh, putting up 64 on our beloved Purple Pirates of East Carolina, winning that one 64 to 17. Josh Jackson was 24 of 31 for 372 and five touchdowns. Yeah, uh, I like Baylor. That, I like that little 57-0 run that Virginia Tech went on. Yeah, it was. It was. They, nuts. they were down 17-7. I mean, yeah. And then, and then they just they just lit it up. Uh, Dutt Bears they lose again. Uh, I guess karma is really ravaging them. Uh, but Duke is 3-0, 34-20 victory there. Uh, Sean Wilson had 18 carries, 176, and two touchdowns. Uh, Zach Smith was, get this, he was Baylor's top performer. He was 12 of 34 for 263 and three touchdowns. Uh, Wake Forest putting it up on Utah State. Wake Forest is is 3-0. They won 46-10, and I get it. It's Utah State, but, again, we're talking about Wake Forest here. They're not exactly – they're not exactly world beaters. Um, North Carolina running up the score, 53-23 on, on ODU. Uh, Syracuse finally getting off the – finally uh, getting back on track. Notre Dame, 49-20 to over BC. I, I know, Matt, you're happy about that. Um, no, because I Brent, wanted both teams to lose. I, I, I wanted a Beamer 0-0 tie somehow. And double overtime uh, yeah. to get it. Uh, but uh, Brandon Wimbush rushed for over 200 yards and four touchdowns um, in this blowout. They had a 21.4 quarter to kind of solidify that 49 to 20 uh, score. So Notre Dame getting back on track after uh, Georgia shut them down a week ago. Um, and then also um, a couple service academy games. Um, Air Force kind of kind of gave Michigan all they wanted. Uh, in, in their in their matchup, and uh, Army was no match for Ohio State. Ohio State getting back on track there. Uh, the Georgia Sanford game again. Uh, Georgia started slow, but they won forty two to fourteen. Sanford actually, I really like Devlin Hodges. They're saying they're talking about pro potential for him. He was extremely efficient. Twenty six of thirty five for two twenty seven and a pair of touchdowns there for Devlin Hodges of Sanford. Sanford's going to be. Uh, they're going to be a tough out in the uh, in the Southern Conference there in the FCS, which is I think what NAI. Um, it's it's uh, it's Division Four. They made a new division in college football. Oh, they did. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so A and M getting the and and then and then A and M getting the pimp cane going forty five twenty one beat down with the raging Cajuns. So uh, and this and that's not even and what's sad about that is that. Uh, 45-21, you think, okay, good, you know, we're back on track. We scored 45 points, albeit against the Raging Cajuns, feeling good about ourselves. Kellen Mond was 21 of 34, 301, three touchdowns. Now, that's not the story from that game. The story from that game is one of the A&M players was given the, the double middle finger to, to some of the home crowd. Well, because the they were losing at halftime when they went into the tunnel. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I would give the double finger to the Texas A&M crowd. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily blame him, but you know, you're just like God Almighty, man. You finally get some good things going, and that's all anybody ever wants to talk about. All right, Josh, what's your uh, Josh? What's your next slam? Oh, I'm gonna talk about my Hawkeyes in North Texas. 
just a truly bizarre game. Uh, North Texas, 13 penalties for 119. Iowa did their best to chip in six penalties for 63 yards. Uh, the refs just were abysmal for both teams. Iowa, on their first apparent score, they ruled that it was a coming loose before he went in the end zone. And then it rolled out the end zone, so it was a touchback for North Texas. I've watched the replay about a dozen times, and to me it looks like the ball is still in his hand. His knee is down in the end zone. When the ball came out, none of the North Texas players reacted like it was a fumble. And they say, like, inconclusive evidence that you have to let the play stand. We need to figure out, like, a shot clock on the rest because they reviewed it for about five minutes. And then finally we're like, okay, it's a fumble. Well, if it takes that long to figure it out, then it clearly wasn't obvious. So that was annoying. And then Akram Wadley does, like, the smallest of high steps at the six-yard line, negates a 74-yard touchdown, and fine. That's the letter of the law. That is an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Fine. But when North Texas scored their touchdown, about half the team was hushing the crowd, which last time I checked, that sounds like a coordinated celebration, which is also an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So why is one a penalty and the other's not? Because the refs are terrible. Uh, North Texas held on literally every play. That was their blocking scheme, was to just tackle our offensive lock. Or hey man, if, if that works, if the refs aren't going to call, it's a great blocking scheme. <laughs> but um, at the end of the day, Iowa overcame their own gaps, overcame, let's give some credit to South Latrell, North Texas was game. They, they played a lot better than expected in that first half. Uh, so Iowa overcame themselves, they overcame North Texas, and they overcame what was, frankly, a terrible officiating crew for both teams uh, to just take the air out of the ball, dominated time of possession, over 40 minutes of possession. They had two extremely long drives. They had one drive that was almost nine minutes. In the second half, they just hammered North Texas with 59 rushes for 238 yards, used their size and their strength, just used sheer brutality to uh, to overcome North Texas. And the defense, uh, you know, posted a shutout in the second half, held North Texas to 0 of 6 on third down. It wasn't the prettiest game, but, um, you know, we don't know what Iowa's going to end up, but I always feel like good teams find a way to win when it seems like everything's going against them. And, who knows where Iowa ends up, but, you know, at least they found a way to scrot and craw- sc- uh, scratch and crawl. See, this is what happens when you, we do a podcast with a night. Scratch, scratch and, claw? and claw out of victory. Woo! Woo, right. Uh. Green Bay is trying to scratch and claw their way out of Atlanta and try to get this game over with as I believe the, quickly as possible. I believe the correct uh, phrase is scratch and craw. <laughs> uh, scratch, scratch and uh, cruel. Josh, stuck in your craw? Uh, yeah. For those of you listening at home, I did not just have a stroke. Uh, <laughs> I'm just 
I'm just kind of tired and uh, tripped over my words. Well, you know, I wasn't even doing a Lou Holtz impersonation. Oh gosh, if, if you if you were, that would make me more unintelligible. Uh, but long story short, long story short, I hope North Texas and Iowa don't have to ever have those officials again. I don't know where they found them, but they were uh, dog do. All right. Well, my my second quick slam is going to be a very early hot seat watch. So, you know, uh, we're three games into the season for most teams, unless you're Florida State and you've only played one game. But I, uh, I wonder if Hawaii and you've played eight. <laughs> this is true. So I want to take a look at who is on the hot seat. So I've sort of I, – I eliminated coaches who've only been at – who is either their first or second season at the school. So we're looking at coaches with uh, – who are in their third or later – year with their school so uh before i get to my top five i've got three honorable mentions or i should say dishonorable mentions the first mark whipple at umass his first tenure at umass from 98 to 03 he was great he went 49 and 23 uh over six seasons uh including uh three conference titles um and one national title in 98 after he came over from Brown, second uh, second tilt at uh, at UMass, not so much. Uh, midway through his fourth season, uh, in his second go around at UMass, he is a lovely uh, eight and thirty two, including zero and four this season. So not looking, things are not looking great there in Amherst. Um, second dishonorable mention, Larry Fedora. They came back a little bit this year. Uh, sorry, this weekend, I should say, with uh, a nice victory at Old Dominion. But uh, still, uh, not definitely not as great as uh, things were a couple seasons ago when they went 11-3 and and won the Coastal. Uh, regressed to 8-5 and last season, and that was with having a uh, the number two two overall draft pick at quarterback. Um, and this season they're one and two on the year with some pretty rough losses and a tough schedule coming up. Um, and my final dishonorable mention is Steve Adazio, who um, their team is uh, regressing. Absolutely. You know, they he went from Matt, regressing implies that they were ever decent under him. They, they've had they a, were, they've they had were a bowl team. They were a bull team even last year. Okay, were- going six and six and making the uh, Michelin entire no, Ottawa the- Canada Bowl doesn't count. It's a quick lane bowl. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> um, Your mom's but- a quick lane bull. What? <laughs> Whoa there, whoa there. I don't think Aunt Sally will appreciate that about <laughs> that way. Um, so I, it's pretty safe to say we're not going to get that quick lane uh, endorsement. Feed, no, right? probably not, yeah. but it's okay. Yeah. So uh, now yeah. for we're my – We're not going to sponsor the show. Now for my five hottest seats. Uh, in fifth place right now, I have Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. Um, coach mentioned their game this past weekend. It was ugly in the first half before they finally turned things around. Um, they had trouble last week as well. Um, they won that that first game. Uh, sorry, they lost that first game against UCLA in very uh, rough fashion. Uh, his uh, his record every year has gotten either stayed the same or gotten worse since his first year at Texas A and M in 2012, uh, where he went 11 and two. Um, he's gone from 11 and two to nine and four, eight and five, eight and five, eight and five, two and one this year. But in a again loaded SEC West, you've got to imagine that uh, you know. I think they're looking at probably a 500 finish. You got to assume they're going to lose to Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi State, um, and probably LSU at this point. But we'll talk about LSU a little bit more later. 
In fourth, fourth hottest seat, I've got Gary Anderson at Oregon State after he made the uh, less than lateral trans uh, move from Wisconsin to Oregon. Do, do they care though? Yeah, I, I I think they care a little bit out there. I mean, under Mike Riley, they were winning seven. You know, they would usually win between six and eight games. Um, in his three seasons so far, he is seven and twenty-one. Like he, he's in his third year, they're seven and twenty-one, three and fifteen in conference. That's bad. That's well, really that is bad. bad. What's that? At least they were competitive with Washington State. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> not looking good out there for the Storm and Mormon. Um, number third hottest seat. Uh, the top three, honestly, could all be tied for number one. I've got Butch Jones at Tennessee uh, in my third hottest seat. Uh, he, that, that was a Ooh. rough game. We're going to talk about that game against Florida mm. here in a little bit. But, you know, I don't, you know, good for him that he's gone 3-0 and in bowl games. But you know, thirty-two and twenty-two in four plus years is it's not not, when, not when you've recruited, not when you've recruited as well as he has. No, quite frankly, they expect better at Tennessee, and you know, it's not going, it's not going so great there right now. Um, you know, I think they are at best the fourth best team in the SEC East right now, Coach. Would you say that at best the fourth best team, maybe the fifth? I, I think would say I'd say the fourth. I mean, I think at this point you've got to put Florida, obviously Georgia, Florida, and Vanderbilt. I think are all ahead of them at the at, at this point. Um, yeah, I, I think par, they're probably on par with South Carolina. I, Kentucky. I, he's, he's on the hot seat, but I mean, I don't know if you could definitively say that Florida is better than that game. Was a dead even game until one busted coverage. I mean, true, but they still lost. And I, you know, and at the end of the day, it's going to come down to wins and losses. Um, I know. And it, it doesn't help that he's kind of gruff and is not great with the media. The players don't seem to really enjoy him all that much. So no, I, and j- yeah, I, I got I got my opinions on Butch Jones. I'll talk about it when we get to the Florida Tennessee game. Okay. Well, uh, my second highest seat, I've got uh, our old friend Bluetooth. Um, Oof! Yeah. Wait, he's still around. Yeah, man, it's not around, but it's, it's, not, it's not looking good. If you all remember, 2013, 2014, he had some pretty good – he had some pretty good teams, back-to-back 10-win seasons, uh, including a Pac-12 South Championship in 2013, um, you know, made to the Holiday Bowl. But uh, Wasn't that back during the Kiffin experiment and the height of probation for USC? Yes, and that was no. before Jim Mora got things going at UCLA. Um, Did he get things going? <laughs> well, they're, I mean, uh, well, we're going we're gonna to talk about you saying that. But uh, it's been finishing return since. Uh, he's, uh, he's looking at a third straight losing season. And they are incredible. I mean, they are, I don't think Arizona State's ever been, like, completely relevant. But they've never been this irrelevant. No, they haven't. I, I cannot remember a time they've been this. By the way, based on UCLA and Arizona State's defense so far through three weeks, when they face each other, bet the over. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could put the over at 100, and I'd still bet it. Bet, bet the um, over. But I think at this point, the consensus hottest seat in college football has to be Mike Riley. It is. Th- things are oh, going yeah. south fast there in Lincoln. I mean, you're losing to Northern Illinois at home. 
it's it's not a good look. Um, you know, they got you know they, they were competitive in the second half of the Oregon last week, but they got waxed so bad in the first half that it didn't even matter. Uh, I, Nebraska would be Josh uh, in in the Big Ten West. Who are the underdogs to when where they when they play Wisconsin? Yes, Iowa. Uh, yes, Minnesota. For opening impressions, big time. Yes, Minnesota has looked really, really good. Northwestern. Uh, at this point, yes. I, th- I think at this point they might be. If it's a coin flip game at best, yeah. Um, they're going to have trouble with Purdue. Mm-hmm. They can't cover anyone, <laughs> and they turn the ball over a lot. And if Blau keeps not turning the ball over, well, I mean, there you have it. I mean, it's. You know, I, I don't think that – I'm not sure if he's going to last this season because you know Nebraska people, they expect – I mean, they got rid of – I mean, they got rid of Bo Pelini after he went 9-4 and four basically every single season. So, so um, I, I know message boards are never a good way to uh, determine a fan base. I know they were pretty pissed off, so they might have been uh, a little steeved and – confused over their words but the message boards were pretty funny my favorite one was one person was so pissed they were saying look at wisconsin how consistent they are we need to get wisconsin's athletic director and he was talking about how they need to back up a truck to whoever wisconsin's athletic director is didn't know the name um probably would have helped to google that considering it's uh barry alvarez who's a nebraska alum and he's the all-time winningest coach at wisconsin and is a lifer in Madison and will not be leaving. No. But other than that hypothesis, another message board person wanted uh, Scott Frost, who they claim has been doing incredible work at uh, USF. So um, other than not knowing what school he's at. Yeah, yeah, he's got those USF. He's got those USF Golden Knights. (laughs) (laughs) Playing, they're they're going to win the Division Two national championship. At the FCS level. That's great. I mean, a lot of their fans are still debating if they should have even fired Bill Pelini. So. Uh, well, I, I think the I think the answer's got to be a resounding no at this point. I mean, Pelini took Youngstown State to the uh, FCS uh, NAIA Division four-and-a-half championship game last year. See, I, I think that's a false equivalency, though. I think that – I think based on <laughs> – you know, I think it was fine firing Bo Pelini. The problem was who they hired. Well, um, if – Of course, I mean, the, first the, other, the other issue, though, is, like, Bo Pelini won a lot of games. He never won fewer than nine games. Yeah. It's like, what coaches are going to be like, ooh, that sounds like a good school to go to. Um, he, he was solid but never great. And that's um, why they fired him because they expect be, great and he never I got, they're gonna got be, him there. They're going to be pandering for Chip Kelly. I think – I think, yeah. I think Gross. Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know what? Honestly, the way Oregon kind of fell apart without Chip Kelly and how bad he did in the NFL, like, that really doesn't scare me as much as it would have five, six years ago. What do you mean by that? Uh, I think he's a fine coach. I think we're probably overstating his talent. I think that Stanford wasn't nearly as good yet. Uh, Washington was certainly not as good yet. No. Um, I'm curious how Oregon with Chip Kelly right now would fare in the Pac-12. 
Well, I think, I mean, that's an interesting hypothetical. But so I think, though, right now, Mike Riley's uh, the hottest, has the hottest seen college football. Uh, anyone, I uh, miss, anyone I miss, guys? Uh, well, one name you might have missed was what I was going to say about Chip Kelly, which is, you know, kind of shades of Rich Rod. Like, you know, Chip Kelly was awesome at Oregon in that one snapshot. But, like, you know, he there's a reason why he didn't make it in the pros, and there's a reason why no one's hired him yet again. That's true. That's true. Because he costs too much dang money. <laughs> well, we are going to uh, move on to a new segment, uh, which is going to be uh, our little trivia break before we go to um, before we go to our deep roots. So, during the telecast of the Wisconsin BYU game, uh, the uh, Tommy Tuberville, who is not the world's best color commentator. Uh, stated that it was an interesting matchup because it was a matchup between two schools who have who have coaches that are coaching their alma maters, Paul Chris mm-hmm. and Kalani Sataki. Yeah. Gentlemen, there are currently, uh, including Chris and Sataki, Sataki, 23 coaches who are currently coaching at their alma maters. We're going to do this in the style of Stump the Schwab, one of the great shows that ESPN never should have canceled, and they should never should have fired Howie Schwab either. I will never forgive them for that. Um, so we're going to go uh, back and forth, starting with you, Josh. Name, uh, until there are no coaches left or you guys run out, all yeah. the coaches in FBS football who are currently coaching at their alma mater, and I'm spotting you, Chris and Sataki. Um, there are 21 left. Okay. So, um, Mark Richt at Miami. Correct. Coach. Kirby Smart at Georgia. Correct. Josh. <sighs> mm. There are two in the Big Ten. Two more in the Big Ten, I should say, Josh. There are two in the Big Ten? Oh, there man. Are three, three, including Chris. I mean, I wouldn't oh. even have known that Okay. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with uh, Edo at LSU. Uh, Edo is not a graduate of LSU. Perfect. See, I don't know these. This is not uh, Pat Fitzgerald. Correct. Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern. <laughs> Correct. Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Correct. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there are there are two in the Big Twelve. Oh. Hold on, Mike Gundy. Yep. <laughs> and. Sexiest coach in the world. <laughs> Shit. Who's the other one? Cliff I, didn't know that, I didn't know that Bill Snyder oh, went to Kansas State. <laughs> yeah, they were still oh, wearing leather helmets. <laughs> he I established, feel, I, he I established feel, football at Kansas State. Embarrassed. This is why I'm like worried about everyone on a game show. Like I just totally froze up. I couldn't think of anything. Okay, four coaches in the MAC. I'm sorry, five oh. coaches in the MAC. Jesus. No. I don't even know who all the coaches are. Uh, the okay, I'll give you guys Mike, <laughs> New, Mike New at Ball State, Paul Haynes at Kent State, John Bonamego at Central Michigan, <laughs> um, and Tim Lester at Western Michigan. Um, other school, uh, other coaches you guys missed included Sean Kugler at UTEP, Jeff Tedford at Fresno State, oh. at Air, Air Force, Barry Odom at Missouri. Um, uh, Brian Harson at not Boise. for long though. Brian Harson at Boise State, Matt Wells at Utah State, David Shaw at Stanford, mm. Matt Luke at Ole Miss, 
and Ooh, Scott, I forgot about that. Scott Satterfield at Appalachian State. I'm just Ooh. glad I got one, to be Scott. honest. Uh, Coach, you are the winner, and your prize is that uh-huh. you can teach Josh's third period tomorrow. <laughs> Sweet. Josh, right. I, I want a lesson plan uh, in my mailbox by <laughs> 7.05. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, we are already running ridiculously over time, but we're going to keep going anyway. Um, so time for some deep roots. Uh, we're going to start with uh, the great – actually, it wasn't even a great game. It was uh, a good old-fashioned beatdown in Stark Vegas by the by the Bulldogs over the Bayou Bengals. Uh, coach, I mean, th- this is your wheelhouse. Man, LSU fell back to earth. What on earth happened to Dave Aranda's defense? Well, they ran into what seemed like uh, an unknown buzzsaw. Nick Fitzgerald just freaking lit them up, man. He threw two touchdowns and ran for two more. Um, it was just a freaking clinic in option football. It was it was unbelievable what they were able to do. Um, it was the largest margin of victory for the Bulldogs in the 111-game series. Um, I mean, they just – just in all facets of the game up front, they were bullying them. Uh, there was just, I mean, there's not really much you could say, but just unless you got bullied, yeah, unless you got pushed around, they got ran around, they got ran over, ran through. Uh, they couldn't do anything on offense. Um, Aris Williams had 146 yards himself. He averaged 6.3 per carry. Um, this is just the second time in 18 tries, 18 years since 2000 that, that, that they've beaten LSU. So that's, that's insane. I mean, he was fit, uh, Fitzgerald was 15 of 23, uh, to throw some more stats there. Um, I, I mean, Fitzgerald was, uh, what was fantastic in this whole game. I mean, he ran for two touchdowns. He threw for two touchdowns. And he looked the part the entire game. And he has really come into his own in his second season uh, as the starter. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I, I, I was watching it and I, 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 I turned it, you know, I, I watched it for a little while before the, before the Clemson uh, Louisville game came on. And I was, and I was checking in. I didn't really watch much of Georgia to, to be honest with you. There was a couple of games I was more intrigued by, but um it just every time I every time I saw him, Mississippi State had the ball. They were gashing him. They were pushing him around up front, and it just seemed like LSU was just taking it. And it was it was very odd to see, and it's very odd to see how bad they actually were on the road. It just seemed like they were disinterested. And you know, this is the first big game of the year. I don't know why they were. You know, I don't count BYU as a big game, but. Uh, I don't know why they were so disinterested. They always, you know, conference games never, you know, they always show up. But I just here, here's the quote that kind of that kind of wraps it up. Uh, defensive lineman Greg Gilmore of LSU said, "I mean, I'm embarrassed. We're an aggressive football team, but we've got to play smart." So they got, you know, a lot of lot of busted a lot of busted assignments, a lot of penalties. It's just ugly all around for Edwards or on. Uh, LSU Tigers, and quite frankly, I was just like, what the, what, I mean, what in the heck was going on, and uh, my first, re- my second reaction was, George has got to play Mississippi State next week, 
I'm I'm legitimately nervous about Nick Fitzgerald. You should be. Uh, Josh, what were your thoughts here? Uh, well, Ed Ogeron, one of the reasons he got the job after the impressive interim stint was saying that he learned from all of his mistakes at Ole Miss and he was going to turn over a new leaf and be a new coach. And, uh, well, through three games, um, I'm discounting the Chattanooga game because that was an FCS opponent. Against FBS teams, they're averaging 17 points per game right now. Uh, at Ole Miss, his first year, 13.45 points. Second year, 15.66. And final year, before getting fired, 20.08. Uh, that tell, tells me he continues to not uh, emphasize offense on his team whatsoever. They were sloppy, nine penalties again, 112 yards. Uh, this is just – I was a little surprised that – they're even still in the polls that were released earlier today. Quite frankly, they got flat out embarrassed. Hats off to Mullen. Hats off to Mississippi State. But um, not exactly the impressive league debut for uh, Coach O. And, I mean, there's – quite frankly, if I was the AD at LSU, he would be on a short leash because he had a chance at Ole Miss and totally belly flop. Yeah, you're right. And I think that, you know, I, I think it's doubly embarrassing, especially because they brought in Matt Canada and brought in, gave him all this money to, you know, run the offense. And, you know, he ran the, those pit offenses and, you know, say what you will about pit, but they had a pretty good offense last couple of years. And they had a great offense. Yeah. And and that's I, what baffles me is, is how. And how they, bad they came out and, and how many penalties. I mean, Darius Geis is as good a running back as, you know, you'll find in the country. And I, I, I think I think the world's just trying uh, – finally figuring out that Danny Etling is not this all-world all quarterback he well, is. It, t- it took them that long? I mean, if he couldn't even hack it at Purdue, what made people think that he was going to be able to hack it at, at LSU? He played a few good games. He got hot. And won the job, and now everybody's thinking he, he he's he's the guy. And honestly, I think you know they have some offensive line issues. You know they're not offensively; they're just not as talented as you would think, or sometimes that they that they lead to believe that they lead you to believe. I don't think they have overly elite receivers. I don't think you know their offensive line plays consistently enough, and. Uh, Canada, it's not Canada's schemes that that's the problem. It's, uh, it's going to take a couple of recruiting cycles to really get some dudes in there. Uh, defensively, they don't have any, you know, talent wise, they don't have any issues. I don't know what's going on on that side of the ball, but, uh, maybe they just had one of those games where, you know, everything goes against you. And, uh, but they just, they got some things going on program wise. They need to get figured out, but they need to recruit better offensively and, they just need to, I don't know. They just need to find a way to get some focus in there. So, all right. Overall, overall embarrassing for LSU, but I don't want to take away from what Mississippi State was able to accomplish. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald, a freaking wonderful game, uh, put on a clinic again, like I said earlier. So, I don't want to take anything away from Dan Mullen and Mississippi State, but God, my God, LSU. I, I hate, hate that we're talking about LSU so much and how bad they are, but. Well, you know what? Let's head up the Mississippi River then to Memphis, Tennessee, 
where the game of the week, the, the best game of the week was an early one on Saturday, but man, that was fun. UCLA Memphis, you know, I hate to see the Bruins lose, but good Lord, that was an offensive explosion. Anthony Miller from Memphis, who has the Vanderbilt anchor, I noticed, tattooed on the back of his arm, which is strange enough as it is that he plays at Memphis, but has like the exact anchor uh, that Vanderbilt has as their logo on his, uh, tattooed on the back of one of his arms. Um, the former walk-on was an absolute beast. Nine catches, 185 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, you know, uh, the quarterback there at Memphis, Riley Ferguson, threw for six scores. Josh Rosen had 463 yards and four scores. This was an offensive explosion and defensive coordinator's worst nightmare. <laughs> Josh, um, what's going on with UCLA's defense, man? They can't stop anyone. Yeah, they don't know how to tackle. They're just out of position. And, uh, you know, this has been an ongoing thing. This has been systematic, really, of UCLA the last few years once they had some incredible defensive talent head up to the NFL, uh, whether it's coaching or not developing or not having recruits fan out or not scouting and getting bad recruits. For whatever reason, the last few years for UCLA defense just has totally no-showed. And what's really, really, really scary if you're a Bruin fan, is Memphis wasn't even that efficient in their game plan in terms of their performance. They were 3 of 12 on third down. They had three giveaways, and Memphis had 10 more penalty yards and one more penalty than UCLA. I mean, they had 11 penalties for 109 yards. Uh, You know, if Memphis had polished that stuff up, this would not have been a close game. Coach? Yeah, I mean, I I agree. It was one of those where both teams early could have probably ran away with it, Um, but both teams really just fought themselves back to the pack. I think, you know, there's one point where I sent a text that, oh, okay, here, here, UCLA's waking up now. They, you know, they they started kind of slow because it was a nine nine o'clock kickoff um, as far as their body clock goes. And I was like, okay, well, here they go. They're going to wake up now and you know, at that point, I think it was seventeen to seven. I think UCLA just went up seventeen to seven, and uh, and I was like, okay, here we go. You know, they're starting to wake up now. We're we're good to go. And then all of a sudden, bam! As soon as I said that, Memphis marched right down the field. Bam, seventeen fourteen, and then bam, bam, bam. It just seemed like they started trading touchdowns, and things started going crazy. And uh, defense, it was almost like they were going on air. Every time they touched the ball, they would they they scored, and it was uh, both teams. And I just I was impressed with the resolve of Memphis and not really allowing themselves to be overtaken by by a Pac-12 team or by a Power Five team, I should say. And you know they they have that they have that attitude where you know hey nobody can beat us, especially at home. And they played lights out. They they played. You know, they played the rest of that game almost flawlessly. And, uh, you know, it just seemed like, uh, you know, two touchdowns that I really – because I was in and out of that game too. I was kind of flipping around and I was watching my my own game film from from Friday night and I was doing a lot of different things. And um, I wasn't watching as intently as I usually do, but – uh, I noticed a couple screen passes they they had mm-hmm. they had scored on. It was uh, 
man, it was it was it was a thing of beauty though what, what Memphis was doing. Yeah, I mean, going going forward, you you have to like this Memphis team. It was a shame we didn't get to see them against uh, UCF a couple a couple weeks ago or last week, I should say, uh, because of the hurricane. But because that that's going to be a great game. I think that game has been uh, rescheduled for some point. But they, uh, yeah, it's had actually it's been rescheduled for um, two weeks from now. So uh, that'll be fun for them because I think that those are you know, part of the two strongest teams in the American East. But or sorry, Memphis is actually in the West. I'm sorry, but two two of the strongest teams in the American in general. So uh, let's keep it. Um, yeah, let's let, we gotta keep, we gotta keep moving. We got a lot of games to get through, so we're gonna try to power through these last four games. First of all, USC yeah. USC over Texas double overtime. Um, that ended up being a ridiculous game. Uh, Josh, uh, thoughts here on SC pulling out victory. Uh. Yeah, pulling out victory and a little bit of a red flag for the rest of Pac-12 going forward. Uh, SC dominated Stanford by running all over them, but I just don't think this receiving core is quite good enough uh, outside of Deontay uh, Burnett. You know, there's no Juju Smith-Schuster. There's no, like, game changer. And when you bottle down their running attack, they were – pedestrian looking they look beatable if you slow down that running game you only had 71 yards on 37 carries i think that's the blueprint going forward coach i i was really impressed with uh sam darnold um down the down the stretch 28 to 49 uh you look at the stats alone um not overly efficient but 397 yards and three touchdowns that's getting it done and then uh the freshman kicker you know welcome welcome to uh welcome to this Welcome to the league, buddy. Uh, kicking a 43-yarder to uh, to end the game, and you know USC gets a little bit of a resu- little bit of revenge, I should say, against the Longhorns. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think there's definitely a silver lining here for Texas. Um, you know, Sam Ellinger had to start for them in place of the injured Shane Bouchelle. And, you know, he completed, you know, just over 50% of his passes. But 298 yards, two scores, um, you know, not exactly the most efficient game, but kid's a true freshman. Um, what I'd be concerned about Texas, though, they can't run the ball. Man, Mm-mm. 35 carries for 68 yards. Mm-hmm. It's less than two a pop. Uh, that's that. That's bad. Uh, so they, they've got to do a, a better job of getting the ground game established. Um, next, though, uh, what was billed as the game of the week ended up being kind of a snoozer. Clemson absolutely shellacked Louisville. And uh, Josh, is no surprise to anyone, it was all about Clemson's defense. Exactly. And uh, it's funny you mentioned it being a snoozer. It Sort of the same time as the Mississippi State game. And I was so curious to see how the Bulldogs looked that I totally forgot to ever flip back to this game. And then when I finally was like checking scores on my phone, it was already a blowout. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I didn't miss anything. But yeah, Clemson just blew open that game in the second and third quarters. That was really impressive. And I gotta be honest, based on Checking Clemson's uh, stats in this game and, and seeing them against Auburn last week and it kind of seeing a little bit of that Alabama-Colorado State game, I think if there's a rematch tomorrow, I would take the Tigers without a worry. They look amazing. Absolutely. Uh, coach? Yeah, I mean, I, Kelly Bryant might honestly be just as good and pose just as – I think he might pose 
more of a threat to Alabama's defense than Deshaun Watson does. I know that's hard to say, and I know that, you know, if you follow me for a second, I think he's more of a threat on the ground than Watson was. Watson was a pure quarterback that could run if he wanted to, but didn't look to run first, uh, wanted to uh, wanted to beat you through the air and, and stay with his read. But Kelly Bryant has no problem running, and he does so, so well that, you know, he's, he's extremely dangerous. And, God almighty, I haven't seen a better – you know, I, I think Georgia and Clemson have the two best front sevens in college football right now. I think Clemson, honestly, Clemson should be the number one team in the, in the country. I think I think they're the best, and and it might not even be close. I, I you know, I I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that. Clemson is truly truly outstanding. Uh, I mean, that defense is a, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, they gave twenty one points, but fourteen of those were in garbage time in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. Penultimate game we're going to talk about San Diego State. Some uh, late night football out there on the West Coast. Uh, both of you guys picked this, Josh. Uh, San Diego State with the big upset over Stanford. Um, they can uh, they can thank uh, their running game because, uh, quite frankly, Rashard Penny is a beast. Yeah, I mean Rashard Penny is the real deal. Like we thought. Is going to be um, when I previewed this team back in the Mountain West. I, I said an underrated aspect for their team is uh, their quarterback uh, Christian Chapman giving them just enough to keep the team honest, and that's what he did. Twenty-one of twenty-nine, a buck eighty-seven, a touchdown, no interceptions. That's just enough to to give you a little bit of a pause, even though you know nine times out of ten it's going to be handoff to Penny. That's what Stanford's lacking right now. Uh, Keller Chris, 9 of 20, 72 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. It's not going to cut it. And I also have to question the play calling. 22 rushes for Stanford. That was it. Uh, 13 for Bryce Love. He made the most of those 13 carries, 184 yards, two touchdowns. How are you not feeding him the ball more, especially when your passing game is giving you nada? Lots of gut check moment here for Stanford. A lot of people look in the mirror trying well, to figure out the rest of their season. The other thing here, Coach, is that uh, San Diego State held the ball for f- more than 41 minutes. Stanford didn't even get 19 minutes of uh, of, of possessions, and that showed in, in, in the stats. I mean, they ran – Stanford ran 43 plays from scrimmage. Yeah, you're not going to win. I mean, that, that's like a quarter and a half for UCF. Yeah, I mean you're not gonna you're not gonna win many games that way, uh, only running forty three plays, and you know that means either you're going, if you have forty three plays, you better if you're gonna win, you better have fifty points and a lot of one play drives. But um, it's just something's not right with Stanford. You know, they're yeah. it's it's not, and I don't know what's going on because you know their schemes and what they have talent wise is there. I mean, that they're not any different than, than what they've been before. You know, Bryce Love is a, is a tremendous running back. Maybe, maybe USC beat them twice. You know, I, I always say when, when you lose a big game like that, sometimes that team beats you again the next week because you're so down that you lose again, a game that you shouldn't. And I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of it was, Rashard Penny going off and San Diego State playing the game of their life or how much of it was that Stanford played one of the worst games they've ever played 
since, you know, since David Shaw took over and, you know, I don't know. I yeah, don't it, know what it, to make of this. It, it wasn't, I, I don't know. They're, they're, Stanford really needs to regroup at this point. Um, but, you know, they don't have time. Um, you know, no, UCLA, UCLA's airgill tax coming in next week. And, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, say what you will about UCLA's defense. It's not great. But yeah, they just need to possess can, the ball. But they, can, but they can move the ball. So yeah, they, they just need to possess the ball, get back to doing what they do, drive it down UCLA's throat, possess it, chew up clock, and, and put the ball in the end zone. All right. Finally, um, quickly, uh, I mean, there's not much to say about this ugly, ugly football game between Tennessee and Florida, except for that Felipe Franks is one lucky son of a gun. Um, uh, cause Tyree Cleveland caught that bomb to end, uh, to end, to end the game. It was ugly first three quarters. Fourth quarter was fun though. Wasn't it coach? Yeah, it was. It really was. I, I was, uh, I told somebody it was the worst three and a half quarters ever, but the best fourth, but the best half quarter of, of, of most entertaining half quarter I've seen in a while. Um, they just, it, it was just like nobody wanted to win. And then all of a sudden they started trading blows. It, it really looked like a, a uh, middleweight undercard fight where neither guy is really defending themselves. And, you know, it's just a lot of sloppy punching and whiffs and jabs. And then all of a sudden they start landing haymakers on each other. And one of them just lands that haymaker as the time is ticking away in the 12th round before they're about to have to make a decision and not really know what the decision is. And then all of a sudden (laughs) – Florida was the guy that landed the haymaker and Tennessee just caught one on the chin and was like, whoa. And then, and then I said to myself, I was like, oh yeah, Tennessee just got a taste of their own medicine. Yeah. Losing uh, on a Hail Mary. Love Josh, it. Um, John Kelly is all that Tennessee has on offense. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, I mean, 19, and why? 41. I, I'm sorry, Josh. I have to say this too. Why, when you get it first and goal from the one, do you not give it? to your only bit of offense and and take your chances on three straight plays and, and feed John Kelly the rock. Ladies and gentlemen, Butch Jones. Well, I was going to say that segues nicely to, um, you know, my thoughts on this game. I thought that these just look like two poorly coached teams that were just constantly out of position in that fourth quarter. They each had three turnovers. Each had a slew of penalties. Um, you know, just mental mistakes left and right. Tennessee went two of five on field goals. So, like, no special teams. They tried two different kickers. Um, the Hail Mary or whatever you want to call it, the busted coverage. I mean, last time I checked, safeties pretty much have one job. But that feels really unfair to leave it on the safety, considering Tennessee didn't even bother to, you know, have more than two safeties on the field, you know, not really being in a prevent defense, just kind of lollygogging around out there. Like, I mean, what are these two teams doing? Neither one looks well coached. Nope. The safety spun around completely in a circle in that play. <laughs> it looked like he – looked like they said, uh, you, go out there and play safety. Coach, I've never played. I don't care. Go out there. Well, I loved that the corner let the guy go deep because he ran up and covered, I think it might have been the tight end, who was running about a six-yard route. So that was useful. Who cares about the tight end? You can't – I mean, you could let him run 20 yards and 
He'd probably trip over his own feet. I mean, the tight end is always open, unless you're Tennessee defending a Hail Mary in the end. Of the game. Well, on the that t- note. The tight end should be always wide open. <laughs> My God. On that note, uh, we're going to have to end it for the night, gentlemen. Um, we all have to get up very early in the morning. So on behalf of my amazing 5-0 and o picking against the spread co-hosts, uh, Corey it, Burton man. here in Nashville, Tennessee, our coach, mm-hmm. and our intrepid blogger from Big Town Accounting, Josh Cook, in the Windy City, this is the professor saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. See you next time, boys and girls. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.